Not everyone gets married. Frankly, it's not right for everyone, and that's totally fine. Also, not everyone who gets married stays married. Divorce is never an intended outcome, but it happens very often. However, as my expert shares with us today, having a child in the middle of the divorcing parents needs to be handled with far greater care than two people who just don't work together anymore. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Sarah Armstrong. Sarah is a woman who had such a successful divorce and gave so much advice on doing it the right way that she was nearly forced to write a book. She's with us today to talk about the logistics of a divorce when a child is involved and how you can succeed in having the best separation possible for the tiny human caught in the middle. Let's be adults about this. Welcome to the show, Sarah Armstrong. Thanks for having me, Colton. Great to be here with you. Yeah, so excited to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself a little for the audience? Well, I am uh, a combination of a mom, and I actually work in the corporate world in global marketing, and I happen to have written a book called The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, uh, What to Think Through When Children Are Involved, and uh, my And what's become my mission after writing this book is to help moms and actually families out there that are going through a divorce to understand that it is an attainable outcome to have a good divorce, because I actually don't think there's enough conversation in society about the topic of how to have a good divorce. And I really think that we need to change societal perception that a good divorce is actually an attainable outcome. Yeah. Divorce has always kind of been like that thing that you don't talk about in polite society, but it's really not that rare. No, it's not rare at all. I mean, uh, sadly, about 50% of marriages end in divorce. So that's one of the things that's perplexing to me is if that's the case, if 50% of marriages are going to end in divorce, then why is it that there's such a, uh, a belief that if you go through divorce, that you and your family and yourself can't be happy after a divorce. And I really think that that's an unfortunate mental model that society has, and it's been built up over many years. And, and there are reasons, you know, I, I generally say, Colton, and first I should just start by saying I'm, I'm not an advocate for divorce. I actually think if couples can stay happily married for the long term, that's ab- absolutely the goal. You know, that's absolutely the goal. But sometimes that doesn't happen. And these days it is more common than ever. And so if that's the case, then we need to step back and think about how divorces are approached. And I I generally say that no one gets married to get divorced. And no one gets, unfortunately divorced generally for, no one gets divorced for positive reasons. Usually there's some type of trigger, but when children are involved, they do not get to decide that their parents are going to go through a divorce, but they're the ones that are most significantly impacted by this decision that has taken place in terms of their lives. And so I really think as parents, when we bring children in the world, we owe it to them to actually step back and think about how we're approaching this process called divorce so that 
when you get through it, you actually can live a healthy, happy, positive life afterwards. And it doesn't have to be this dark cloud that follows you throughout life. And there's certainly a large difference between people that get married very young and then just split, they get divorced versus like people that have been together for 20 years and they've got several kids in the mix. Like that's a a way different situation. It is Colton. And I generally say, and I don't mean to make light of those couples that get divorced without children um, because it's obviously a very intense emotional process, but that's a breakup. You know, you're, you're breaking up. Um, When you have children, the responsibilities you have as a parent and what you've committed in terms of bringing children into the world is significant. And I, you know, I, I reflect in the fact that, you know, we, we as parents, you know, when couples, you know, decide to get a divorce and children involved, the stakes are high and we owe it to our children to ensure that they're not collateral damage due to the divorce. You know, even though a couple has decided they don't want to be together any longer They made a commitment to their children, you know, to bring them up in the healthiest and happiest environment possible. I I joke that we cover the plugs, you know, we put bike helmets on them and we feed them organic milk. We do all these things, you know, to make sure they're safe and healthy and happy. But then the toxicity that can come with the divorce can have long term impact on the children's approach to relationships, their views on marriage and their overall happiness in life. And so I do think as parents, we have a responsibility to take co-parenting seriously with the intent of having a good divorce. Now that takes effort. It takes patience. Um, I, I say generally it takes maybe taking the high road when sometimes the high road feels really steep to take. Um, but, you know, and, and it's maybe not easy, but it is doable. And it is so worth it for the sake of our children to do that. I can absolutely agree. And there's lots of things I wanted to get into, but first I just wanted to cover like, what got you to write this book? Like, why'd you start getting involved? You know, it's interesting. Uh, First of all, I don't consider myself a writer. As I mentioned, I'm in the the global corporate world and and global marketing. And, but I got divorced 14 years ago when my daughter, Grace was seven years old. And, um, you know, we, uh, decided in the approach we took to our divorce to really put her as a focus and make sure that we were doing what was best for her. So we went through our whole process. And then after our divorce, I had an, a number of my girlfriends who had children who would come to me and say, you know, I'm thinking about it, getting a divorce. Would you help me think through this? And, you know, I kind of joke that the girl who never ever thought she would get a divorce became a poster child, you know, for a good divorce. So I would help my girlfriends through their processes. And, you know, it's such a challenging time in life. But afterwards, each of them individually would say, gosh, you really should write these things down, these, this guidance you're giving. And I'd say to them, oh, yeah. And I'd think to myself, I'm never doing that. <laughs> and so I actually was at a business dinner in Mexico City uh, about three or four years after my divorce. And one of my colleagues turned to me and he said, Sarah, you're so happy. And I said, yeah, I'm really happy. He said, but you're divorced. And I said, Selman, getting a divorce is not a death sentence. Yes, I'm happy. My my daughter Grace is happy. My ex-husband's happy. I said, we are all happy, you know, post-divorce. And I mentioned that none of my friends had asked me to kind of write down and, and share the approach that we had taken. And he said, you should really do that. And so the next morning I got on my flight out of Mexico City 
and I opened my laptop and I wrote one line and it said, this book is written by a girl who never ever thought she would get a divorce, who got a divorce and what she learned along the way. And then I wrote about 90% of it on Delta because I traveled the world for my, my global role. And then actually, Colton, I, I got really busy at work and it didn't touch that file for about a year. And then one day I was flying to California and I opened up the file and I looked at it and I said, are you going to be a file on my laptop or am I going to do something with you? And so I decided to give myself a bit of a deadline. So I did that. And um, then I uh, self-published. And from the time I gave myself the deadline, I finished it to self-published. It was out on Amazon within six months, which is pretty amazing when you think about that time frame. But you know, it's uh, it's been a journey. I call it my book journey, which is its own you know learning process in life. Um, but the the term "good divorce" was actually coined by my daughter. She was the one that used that term first with me. And it's interesting when I reflect back in that moment because it was a year after our divorce, and she we were in a CVS checking out um, at the checkout counter, and there's a People magazine cover on the newsstand. And there was a celebrity couple that was getting a divorce. And she says to me, mommy, is that a good divorce or a bad divorce? I said, Grace, I don't know. What's the difference between a good divorce and a bad divorce? She goes, well, a good divorce is when the mommy and daddy are nice to each other, like you and daddy. And a bad divorce is when they scream and yell at each other. And so Colton, when I walked out of that CBS that day with Grace, and, and I said to her, actually, I said, Grace, it's hard to tell from a, ma a magazine cover what type of divorce it is. But when I walked out that day, I thought, you know, whatever my ex-husband and I were doing, the year after significantly changing how we were living our lives across two households and all that comes with it, that my, our daughter could say that we had a good divorce. I felt like we were on the right path. And so that's, you know, it's interesting with my girlfriends encouraging me and then Grace referring to our divorce as a, as a good divorce. It kind of led me to start thinking about the approach we were taking and, and wanting to share it with others. Yeah. And for anyone out there that had thought like, oh, well, your kids don't really know. They'll adapt to the situation. They don't have like a good grasp on what's happening. Like, no, I think they get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even if it's a pretty basic level, I think they understand. They do. And they see everything, Colton. They see everything. They notice everything. I I can tell you that it's um, it's an interesting thing when you go through a divorce because you have to take stock of the fact that your kids are watching your emotions, every every you know decision you make, and you might not think they're paying attention, but they are. And it's really important to to keep that in mind as you approach those interactions with your soon to be or or eventual ex spouse and all that comes with that. So you call the book a guide to a good divorce. Where does that guidance start? Interesting. Well, it starts with what I, I break it into three three uh, phases: preparing for the change during the change and post the change. And there's a lot that you have to do in preparing for a divorce. And as I said earlier, you don't grow up saying, okay, let me plan for my divorce. You know, it's not something you plan for. It's quite honestly something you don't want to have to think about. But when it comes at you and you have to actually think about it, there's a lot to think about. And so I try to break the book into the three phases and then into very bite-sized pieces. So there's 185 topics in the book. And they are a, a topic per page. Maybe it goes into two pages, but sometimes it's a paragraph, sometimes it's a page. And it's meant to be the things, the, de the de decisions you need to make 
and the discussions you need to have about your children in this process. And um, we know when I was going through divorce, Colton, I had a number of people give me books and they were very thick and dense and I opened them and I closed them and I never read them, did not read. It just was too overwhelming to me. And so when I just decided to write this book and to design the book, I wanted it to be approachable. I wanted it to be in these bite-sized pieces. And it's not meant to be read cover to cover, by the way. It's meant to be read at the stage you're in and to take a topic or two, read it, process it, think about it, reflect on it, and then you can go on to the next topic. And, and actually, I, so the funny story, when I actually worked with the editor to lay out the book, they were encouraging me to put more than one topic on a page because I was wasting paper. And I said, <laughs> I said, no, that white space, if there's white space, it's so people can think and reflect. And I will be environmentally conscious somewhere else in my life, but I'm going to keep one topic per page in this book. So it is designed in a very specific way with a mom, you know, mom's mindset. And in fairness, I've had a number of dads also read the book and they have also gotten a lot out of it. But I did write it as if I'm sitting in my living room over a glass of wine with one of my girlfriends sharing the advice that I had shared over the years. And so it kind of starts with that, like the decision or contemplating like, Hey, I think this is where I'm at. What am I supposed to do? What do I think here? Absolutely. And it starts, yeah, it starts with the decision. It goes into how you think about the legal counsel you need, the different approaches you can take to divorce. Cause there's lots of different approaches. Um, where are you financially and understanding your financial situation. Um, and then it, it talks about, you know, there's trade-offs when you go through divorce and you have to really think through what are those things that are really important for you that you want to push for and what are the things you're going to let go? You know, that's not important in the grand scope of life. And it and I also talk about you know, the therapy that you might want to consider for yourself, for your children. Um, I do um, reflect on those that are stay-at-home moms versus working moms because they're in different situations. So there's a lot of um, topics. And one of the most important topics in that preparing for the change phase, Colton, is mindset. And mindset is so essential because if you can go in with the mindset that I'm going to do, and it sounds kind of funny to say, but I'm going to do the best I can do at going through this divorce so that my children can be okay at the other end of this. You know, that's a mindset. That's a choice. You know, and so in doing that, I do think you set yourself up or the potential of getting through the process and coming out of the process with, with as little collateral damage as possible. And there's certainly, like you <clears throat> said, a lot of ways to go through a divorce where yes. you're like, you can amicably separate and never walk through a court proceeding in the entirety of the time you're in it, or, yeah. you know, it can become a long and litigated process and people are trying to, you know, really like nitpick over every single thing with each other. And I think that's kind of what you're you're getting at where you're like your kid sees all of this and they don't need to see any of that because like you two are reasonable adults. <laughs> well, that's and you know what it's a great point Colton. Generally, we would like to think we're all reasonable adults and it is so fascinating to me when you hear the stories of people's divorces and how unreasonable people become in these moments to get at the other person to get back at the other person and um that's where I really wanted um, us to approach it differently. I had actually here, I should mention my parents have been married 55 years, celebrating the 55th anniversary of the summer. They're an amazing couple, an amazing partnership. Um, but I watched a lot of ugly divorces of their friend group growing up. 
So I had that mental model. I knew what that looked like and I knew what it did to the children because those are my friends. And so I, I think that it is a conscious decision you have to make as a parent to say that I'm not going to expose my kids to all of that. I'm going to um, set those emotions aside at times when it doesn't seem appropriate to maybe show them in front of my kids. And I'm going to still let them out when I need to because it's not healthy to keep them inside for the long term. Um, but I talk in my book about developing a compartmentalization muscle. I think it's one of the most important muscles we need in life, um, you know, not just when going through divorce, but, you know, when your kids are with you and there's a moment when maybe one of your buttons has been pushed, you know, by your either current spouse or soon to be ex-spouse, how you react in those moments absolutely sets the tone for how your kids are going to see and reflect on this phase. And again, the button could have been pushing you think, okay, I'm going to react and I'm going to jump in and we're going to debate this, or you could say, you know what, we'll talk about this later, or I'm going to reflect on that later. And so those are all choices. And I know it's really hard. What I'm saying is really hard, but when your kids are watching, they are taking it all. And that goes into that, like having a good mindset that you talked about, you know, take that time. If you need to stop, disengage, think about it, meditate on it, whatever it needs to be like, take that. Absolutely. Cool. I walked a lot. (laughs) <laughs> I went outside and I walked and I think whatever it is so that you can um, distance yourself from those moments so that you aren't showing your kids. Um, I just think that that's what sticks with them, you know, and that's what stays with them for the long term. And, you know, our kids, they just want both of their parents to be happy and they want to be happy with you in, in that environment. And if it's not going to be a happy situation and they use happy with in air quotes, but you know, a positive situation, then there's ways to to shift the environment so it can be a positive situation. It may be that those two individuals, the two parents, just shouldn't be in the same environment together. It's it's not a healthy environment. And so making that change is going to be better for everyone. So when you move through, you've decided like, yes, this is what we're doing. We've got the proper mindset. Is it one of those that litigation is, uh, obviously it's fairly common, but is it in your view, like extremely necessary where you're like, Hey, you have to have people to outline some of these things for you. Well, I do think you need people to coach you through the process, but there are different approaches. So there's the, the, the traditional approach of going through divorce, you know, two lawyers and you talk to your respective lawyers and you debate things and, and that's fine. And in general, there's probably some litigation that, that comes into that. There's also, you know, mediation where it's more of a mediator, less the legal angle, but that you obviously still eventually have to file legal papers. And then we actually went through something called the collaborative divorce, which is where you have two coaches um, that actually a coach for each of you that walks you through all the decisions that you need to make about your children from the time of whatever age they are until they head off to college and, and even post-college if you have decisions you want to go that far out with. And then you discuss those with your individual coach. And then once you've just made all those decisions, respectively, you meet as a team, your two coaches or your coach and, and their coach, and you you talk through things. And then at that point, once you've discussed everything, that's when you bring the lawyers in. And then you each have a lawyer, okay, that needs to write things up in legal documentation. And the interesting thing about this process, there's also a financial neutral specialist that helps you think about the finances across the two households. And then there's a child specialist. And the child specialist is focused on what is best for this child. And it's a team-based approach. Now you might say, well, that sounds like a lot of people and it might be expensive. I actually think it's much more efficient 
than the traditional legal process because you the coaches are coming in to be as efficient as possible and helping you get to those decisions. Then you sit down with the lawyers who are going to be much more expensive than the coaches um, and you are more efficient in those conversations. And then I think the best investment you can make is having that child specialist that is there for both you and the child to help you through the process. So I'm a big believer. Now, it's not for everyone, but I'm a big believer that for those individuals that are going through this, that can have conversation and can talk through things that the collaborative approach is an interesting approach to explore. Certainly. And, you know, speaking of that, like lawyers are very expensive. They are. They charge by the quarter hour. For those that don't know, (laughs) every time you call them, it's a 15 minute bill. Every time they call you, it's a 15 minute bill. Absolutely. And And that's why having them coach you through the process can be a very expensive endeavor. And so that's why I think actually the collaborative process is interesting because those coaches are uh, significantly more more reasonable and hourly costs than uh, the the legal team. Well, and also it's something you you can sit down and do with your spouse. Like you guys are not going to talk to your legal teams together at any point in time. And so like your legal team also is not generally, I would not think trained counselors in any of these aspects. No. And they say that, you know, the, the fairness cult and the lawyers that have been exposed to my book are like, gosh, I'm so happy you've written this book because these are all the things that the couples need to have thought through before they come see us. You know, then they come see us and they want us to think through a lot of these things. And this isn't what we're, you know, we're the, we're the legal component of this process. We're not meant to have all of these other conversations. Now, generally, sometimes they do because there's no one else for that couple to discuss those things with. But most lawyers would say they would welcome having couples to have thought through many of these details before they actually walk into their office. Yeah. Your lawyer's like, look, I'm just here to make sure you guys aren't legally taking advantage of each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The rest of it. Please figure it out and then come talk to us. Yeah, that's basically the, the mindset. Yeah, I can imagine some some poor lawyer beating his head yeah. against the wall as he's like, why do you want me to develop your coaching plan? What is happening here? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and the parenting plan is very important. It's probably the most important part of your legal documentation because that is going to set the course of kind of the rules of the road, the rules of engagement between you and your ex-spouse of how you're going to raise your children. And you know, it, it really, I think, is one of the essential uh, pieces of the puzzle to get really clear on and to get clear and have it written down because there might be changes in dynamics that have you think differently a couple of years down the road and you have what you agreed to. You can always change it, but at least you have what you agreed to at that time in terms of what needed to be thought through. And, uh, you know, we actually went to a, a child specialist right before we told Grace that we were going to go through our divorce. And he looked at me and he said, Sarah, uh, do you travel? And I said, yes, I travel um, for actually globally for my role. And he looked at my ex-husband and says, do you travel? And he said, yeah, I travel domestically. He said, well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler. She's going to travel every week for the next 11 years until she goes off to college. And Colton, I, I burst into tears. I burst into tears. I said, that's not what I want for Grace. That's not what I want for her life. She doesn't, she doesn't deserve that. You know, she didn't ask for this. And it was breaking my heart. So we walked into that session and I looked at my ex-husband and I said, and this is before we'd finalized all of um, the final details of our parenting plan. And I said, I want to make sure we do everything we can to help Grace feel like she's not a professional traveler. And so one of the things that we did, and I do 
um, appreciate that there's some socioeconomic considerations in what I'm about to say, but we try to have all the basics at both homes so that, you know, socks and shorts and jeans and whatever it is, just so that she could leave for school with her backpack and wherever she was going after school, she didn't have to carry that extra bag. Because that's then every time she's switching home, she's basically having to carry that extra bag to moms, to dads. And so we really worked at that. And one of the moments that kind of makes me laugh, but it's a moment is somehow things got out of balance cold when there are more socks in one house than the other. So <laughs> we had so we had to have what I call rebalancing days. And I text my ex-husband and say, hey, we need to rebalance. I don't have any socks over here. And so but it wasn't for Grace to do that at age seven, eight, nine, you know, and as she grew older to like rebalance her clothes across two households. She didn't ask to live across two households. It was up to us to do that. So we would rebalance and figure out what needed to go. And then we would carry that bag of things and hand it to the other person and say, here, this is the stuff I figured out should, should be over at your place. And that's just an example, again, of the logistics of life that you really have to think about with your kids when you're living across two homes. And, you know, that pro professional traveler mindset and also just trying to minimize your child having to pack that extra bag. There's going to be times, there's special things that you only have one of. But it is really important to make sure that as much as possible, they can walk out the door to go to school and go to school like every other kid and then go home to whichever home they're going to, but not feel like that extra bag is always in tow. Yeah. And I feel like, like you said, when you had that, that moment where you're like, this is, I, I'm going to have a breakdown. This is awful. I don't want my child to experience this. That feels like the kind of point where a lot of people start to say like, oh, maybe we should just stay together for the children. And that seems, by everything I've heard, to be very counterintuitive, because like you said, your kids are watching everything. So they see like, oh, you guys are staying together for me and you're unhappy. Now I feel like I'm the source of your unhappiness. It's hard. Yeah, I see a lot of couples stay together for their kids, and I appreciate why they've done that. I, I, it's, it's not a judgment. I just think that to your point... The ability to show your children what it looks like to live a happy life, to have a, a healthy relationship, supportive, loving relationship, whatever that looks like. And if that's not what you're currently in and you think you're showing them the opposite of that, it is doing potentially long-term, it has having long-term impact, I should say, on a lot of their perceptions and a lot of their thoughts and, and what things look like. So I do think there are people that will talk themselves into staying and think it's the right thing to do. But if I were to reflect on what I've observed and what I've lived, both my own experience, but watching other individuals who finally made the change, um, kids also adapt to new ways of living. And they want everyone to be happy, themselves included, but they want their mom and dad to be happy. And I think that's, at the end of the day, what we're all trying to do is live happy lives. You know, and that's, that's, that's the goal. Now, there are things... Um, when you say uh, it's it's interesting because when you do go through this change, the environment that they're living in and what it feels like as that environment's changing. And I, I talk about like physical environment, if they're in your home and you're going to change homes, that was something that I really gave a lot of thought to during our process. And because I think the holes and the gaps that happen as you pull apart a house and maybe move to another house. So I call it minimizing the gaps in my book. 
And what that's referring to is, so for example, in our situation, I was staying in the house that we were living in with Grace and then my ex-husband was moving to another home. And so, but I needed, we were splitting up our our furniture and our artwork and various things. And so as we were going through that, I wanted to make sure I could replace that hole that was being created with the chair or the artwork. And maybe I didn't replace it with another piece of artwork. I might put a mirror up. But I was trying to make sure that there weren't these big holes throughout the house. And the most poignant moment for me, Colton, was when we had a long hallway of family black and white photos that were interspersed in my family and my ex-husband's family. And I needed to give my ex-husband his family photos. So I took the time, and I will say this was like a little mini project. I got new photos done and got new frames, and I got them all together. And then I sent Grace down to a play date down the street one Saturday. And um, I brought out this box and I took the photos down. I put the new photos up, got everything put away. And about an hour later, Grace comes home and I'm in the kitchen. And I hear this little voice from the hallway say, hey, mommy. And I go, what's that, Grace? She says, the wall has changed. And I stopped in my tracks. And I say, what's changed? She said, there are more pictures of me up there. It looks great. And she ran up to her room. <laughs> and Colton, I stopped. I, I took a deep breath. And I said, whoa. And I said, that could have been a very different way. And you know what, though? It's two things. One, she noticed, she noticed it with an instance. I thought that, hall, I thought that hallway wall pictures of wallpaper to her. She noticed it instantly. But secondly, if I hadn't taken the time to put some new photos and frames and put them up there and only taken my ex-husband's photos down and put them in the box and given them to him and left all those little hangers, you know, interspersed throughout that wall. Well, Grace would be telling the therapist years from now is my parents went through a divorce and my mom took all the photos of my dad and his family off the wall and had left those little hangers. And that's certainly one of those that's like, you know, you took a great amount of caution and care in trying to make sure everything was still balanced. And, you know, there wasn't these huge changes, but there are a lot of families that not only, you know, you can't live together generally when you're going, you've gone through this divorce, like you don't want to live together anymore. There's a whole reason behind this. So it's like, okay, we are separating and that creates, you know, two households, like you said, rebalancing some things that all requires people to be pretty you know, at least relatively close together, right? Like you can't be taking cross country trips to rebalance socks. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, again, there are, I have seen different situations. I've seen different situations. We chose to stay. Um, and actually we were both living in Atlanta at the time. We chose to stay in Atlanta and within driving distance of each other so that we could co-parent grace together in that way. I have seen couples where that's not the case. They, one of them has moved to another city and then they have different arrangements you know different schedules of how that works and so you know every divorce is different in terms of all the dynamics that come with that but um, we did make that conscious decision to stay in the same city and and co-parent her together because we both wanted to really be part of her her day-to-day life and that's you know that's a big thing like you've finalized your divorce it's now time to do all of those things because some of this stuff doesn't happen you know, like a lot of people are like, oh, well, during the divorce, all of these things will just naturally change. Like, no, the divorce will happen. And then all of these things just click into place and you have to get them done. Yes. No. And that's very true. I mean, there's so much. And I, I, 
I talk about it in my book. It is, um, it's a big project, you know, it is a, and I hate to say that because it sounds very business related, but there are so many steps that are required to think through and so many things logistically that you need to think through. And that's really what my book as the guide, you know, is meant to really walk you through or all those details that you do all of a sudden you're like, Oh gosh, yeah, I have to think about that. So it's an interesting, uh, journey to go through again because none of us uh, are, are educated or schooled in this concept and then all of a sudden to your point we have to do it and we have to in, in it you know you don't want to have to it's not like you say oh I'm, I'm, I'm practicing this so I can be good at divorce you know <laughs> you're, you're you're hopefully only doing this once um, but you wanted to do it in the best way you can and you know one of the moments that really hit me about five years after our divorce and I've reflected on this a lot is we were at a parent-teacher conference with Grace, and she was in sixth grade, So, because we got divorced when she was in first grade. And at this parent-teacher conference, both of her parents are supposed to come with her to, with her to meet with her teacher. So we walk in, and we sit down with this teacher for an hour, have a conversation. Near the end of the conversation, the teacher looks at us, and she goes, wait a minute, are you two divorced? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, we got divorced five years ago. She said, I had no idea. And I looked at her and said, well, it didn't occur to me to tell you. <laughs> We're here for Grace's parent-teacher conference. And it didn't occur to me to come in and say, hi, we're divorced. Can we now talk about Grace's, Grace's education? And she said, you would be shocked at how few couples can walk into this office and sit down with me for one hour and talk about their children's education if they're divorced. It is very, very rare. And she goes, it makes me really sad. And I said to her, it makes me really sad too, because what's more important to two parents than being able to come in, into this office with you and sit down and talk about how their child is doing in school in your class. And um, what was interesting, by the way, is Grace is hearing this whole conversation. you know. And she said, I, I just don't know why it has to be that way. And I said, I don't know either. And that's something that I, again, reflect on. And one of the reasons I've been kind of uh, driven to help share a different message, because why is it the kids have, that are divorced have to go to two parent-teacher conferences? Why is it the teachers that have divorced parents in the classroom have to give two parent-teacher for the same family? I mean, all of these things are the things that's like, why? Now, there are instances, Colton, where there's a reason they should not physically be in the same room. Okay, and, and those are the cases where you say, okay, there's, then those will be, but for a, a large portion of divorces where you talked about earlier, people get really um, vindictive in interesting ways. It's like, is that what you need to, to do is be vindictive when we start talking about going to parent-teacher conferences? No, I don't think so. Right. There's always, and there will always be, unfortunately, you know, those exceptions where you're like, yes, these two can't be anywhere near each other for, you know, sometimes legal reasons. Yeah. That's fine as well. But, you know, to your, your mindset kind of thing where you walk in here is you're like, yeah, the statement is we are Grace's parents, not we're Grace's married parents, not we're Grace's divorced parents. We are Grace's parents, both before and after the divorce. Exactly. And that's what, that's how we need to show up. You know, I mean, even I, I, I say, you know, you go to your kids' school activities and if I mean, Grace played soccer when she was little, you know, we stood on the same side of the field, generally next to each other, very near each other. Why? 
why would you have to have one stand on one side and one stand on another? So, so if she scores a goal or she has a good play, she has to look at both sides and see, did mom and dad see that? You know, she should be able to look over in a similar direction, see us both cheering for her, smiling, saying, great job. And again, these are just these small kind of micro actions, you know, that, that people can take that can re either reinforce one or one of the other things. It can reinforce, yes, we're divorced. Look, we're going to make a statement we're divorced everywhere we show up. Or we can make the statement, we're Grace's parents and we're here for her. And I hate to say it so simply, but it, in some respects, it's it's that straightforward. Yeah. And, you know, there is, like we said, kind of unfortunately, there are those outliers where you're like, there needs to be that separation, all of those things. I think in those situations, like your child is also has been watching and is very aware that like, mom doesn't want to be around dad because like they can't interact like that or for whatever reason yeah. Like, yeah. they're and like good I'm glad they're separated right yeah I mean most kids are you can see that their parents are probably in a better place you know in, in this next phase of life but it's showing that there is that next phase and it can be a healthy one for everyone you know everyone gets to the, the place they're supposed to be I think that's a great message and I have appreciated you coming on so much. It's been very insightful and I think we got to learn a lot. I would love to give you some time to kind of plug the book and where people can find it if they're looking to buy it. Great. So yes. Um, so the book is actually on Amazon. Um, oh, thank you for showing it. Uh, the mom's guide to a good divorce. Um, it is available in paperback um, ebook. And actually I went into the studio and did an audible version. So if you want to listen to an audible version, it's out there as well. And um, what I would say is, you know, I had a woman um, stop me in the grocery store right after I wrote the book, Colton, and I was in the produce section and she stopped me and she said, are you Sarah Armstrong, the author? And I said, oh, yeah, uh, yes, I am. <laughs> and she, she had actually been to my book signing at Barnes & Noble. And uh, when I launched the book and she said, um, well, I'm going through divorce and I, I bought your book and I just want to thank you. I carry it with me everywhere and it keeps me calm. So thank you for writing this book. And I said, well, thank you for sharing that with me. And I'm, you know, I'm always very sorry to hear that someone needs my book, but I appreciated her stopping me. And she walked away, Colton. And I thought, you know, that's why I've written this book is to help the person I've never met before is going through a really challenging time in life and the book is keeping her calm. And so that's um, kind of the, the message I'd like to, to share with your listeners is please know that um, hopefully you can go through this process in a way that um, you can stay focused on you and what's best for your children. And there is a, there is a happy, happier life on the other end of it. It takes effort to get there. Um, but having a good divorce is an attainable outcome. And I really hope that everyone can reflect on that as they're going through their own journeys. If you have to go through this type of journey. Absolutely. And thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time immensely. Sarah Armstrong, your book on Amazon, anywhere people find it, please leave good reviews. That helps your authors tremendously. So please do that, everyone. Also, nothing wrong with a thank you card. If you're not, you know, in Sarah's local grocery store and you want to stop her in the produce aisle, <laughs> send a thank you card. That's also very nice. Thanks so much, Cole. Really great to be with you. I appreciate the conversation. It's weird to say, but I hope everyone learned something today that they'll never have to use. 
I want all of you to have rich and full lives surrounded by people who care about you. Anyway, that's it for this week. Have a great week. I'll see you all back here on Monday. Please do all the good stuff for the show. Pretty, pretty please. Rate, review, like, subscribe. Dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com if you want to reach out to me or reach out on any of the social medias. But most importantly, stay dumb.